0: Hello, and welcome to episode five of Prompt Night, brought to you by The Basic
1: Pitches. My name is Dan, and with me once again is... Reese. You're about to hear of us both pitch three ideas, each for a piece of writing, the best of which would then get written up and read at the beginning of the next episode. But first, Dan, what have you been up to? It's been a while. Well,
0: it has. It's been a couple of months actually, we took a bit of a hiatus. Almost in line with some of the lockdown easing, I suppose. Me, uh, we've been um, occasionally trying to um, eat out to help out. I managed to reach out and uh, catch up with a couple of friends, whether it be in the park or across a very large restaurant table. course, up with parents. And just, yeah, try to make most of things like day trips.
1: How about yourself? Um, yeah, pretty similar kind of abiding by social distancing, wearing masks to see friends. It's all very weird. I Excellent. found that video and- games, many, many, many video games. I don't know if you've heard of um, Among Us. Oh, I have, I have. A brand new
0: two-year-old game. For people who don't know what Among Us is, why don't you just sort of walk us through briefly the premise? Uh,
1: so the premise is, it's a four to 10 player game set in space and you've got several tasks you need to complete in order to get the spaceship or Space Station, whatever you're on, up and running again. However, there is at least one imposter among you who is doing their best to sabotage the tasks and to kill off the other players one by one.
0: It seems like a very good sort of party game. More something that I would play with friends rather than randoms. Do you
1: agree? Yeah, well, that's what I've been doing. And paranoia abound, basically. Because I've been playing with people I know, I've known for years. So you want to trust them, but obviously you can't. So that's that's the whole point of the game. It, it does. Uh,
0: it pretty much does seem like a sort of <laughs> trust no one game.
1: It feels almost like trying to argue with Trump. That's the best way that I can describe it at times.
0: How many times have you yelled fake news at
1: people? I found that when I was the imposter, the best thing to do was just to be quiet and let <laughs> everyone else point the finger at each other.
0: It's, it's quite a fun game to watch and just see things descend into chaos. <laughs> so, talking video games, I've been playing a couple lately. One being Crusader Kings 3. It's basically like an alternative world history simulator. The idea being, rather than playing as one person, you're playing as like a, a family lineage. It's kind of like Civ mixed with like a historical RPG. So far, I'm playing as uh, one of the territories in Ireland, and I'm trying to unify Ireland. but. To overcome stress, I've turned to drink. So occasionally, I can have a drunkard outburst to lower my stress.
1: Is this is this in the game or in real life? Uh, depends on the time
0: of day and my mood. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but each time you play, can be completely different. So yeah, it's it, it's a lot of fun if you if you're into that sort of thing, some sort of like uh,
1: historical games. I've tried playing Civilization and Total War, and I found that those games kind of really steep learning curve. When you first get into it it's not the most intuitive
0: however this time around they've created a very good tutorial mm-hmm. i would say that crusader kings 3 has given me more appreciation for crusader kings 2 purely because now i sort of understand how the whole system
1: works I feel like I've been playing the opposite of those games recently. So I've, I just finished South Park, the Stick of Truth.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. Uh, not quite in the same the same vein. No. Uh, how, very... how, how did you find that?
1: Excellent. Amazing. Just uh, about four or five hours of pure joy. What One of the games that I've
0: started playing um, would be uh, PGA Golf 21. There is something very relaxing and chill about playing a golf game. Yeah, it, it it's actually a lot of fun just to unwind to look with a uh, several holes of golf before bedtime. I think Reese, I'm becoming an uh, an old gaming man. <laughs> Between that and historical grand strategy, you know, it's it's not quite the same as Halo and Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> that's for sure. Well,
1: who knows? Maybe you could mod PGA Tour 2021 into having a GTA theme, reskin it. Just
0: just shoot the guy in front of me. <laughs>
1: Or if you miss a putt, just shoot the ball. Or, or,
0: or rather than drive the ball, drive a tank. tank. <laughs> so yeah, maybe. So that so we we've we, so I think we've sort of covered pretty much what we've been doing to keep ourselves sane.
1: Trying, not necessarily succeeding. Yes, I, I was going to
0: say trying to keep <laughs> ourselves sane. Well, I was just thinking before we we dive into reading our articles from way that went, mm. should we just have a recap of what the subject matter? for our article. Can you recall what the uh, prompt was for you?
1: You know what? I can't recall the prompt itself. I, I really struggled with, with the writing this, uh, this for this episode. And I, I checked on Google Drives to see that I had about 11 or so different drafts. All of them completely different. Yeah, because I'd sit down to start writing it and realise that this is awful. I hate it. And try again. So, I remember it having something to do with photography. I think it was something to do with snapshots and photos, like some something about the definition of the words which seemed entirely too convoluted. Is that is that about right? Do you remember? Is that what I, I said? I think
0: so, yes. And it was also um I believe a lot of it was, was Instagram uh like like how social media based snapshots how well should they hold up against professional photography? Yeah. there was there was also, you know, And how it's sort of interpreted as having more or less meaning just because of the um, media or method in which it was taken?
1: Yeah, well, like, either way, it's clear that I hadn't really thought it through and that well, I thought I had a firmer grasp on the topic than I actually did. And so writing the piece was a lot about discovery and research. Uh, much more than I thought it would be anyway your one however I thought was more concrete do you remember your your pitch
0: uh, vaguely yes so my article was basically the sort of fictional imagining of a of a world where cities and, and in some cases countries were replaced with the ocean of companies yeah so it was, a, it was a creative piece at you know the world run by businesses rather than government.
1: It's been a long time since I've read Neuromancer, but I'm getting strong Neuromancer vibes from the idea.
0: Well, possibly. cyberpunk Uh,
1: kind of feel to it.
0: Yes, very much sort of... It's very hard to write something like that and not fall into the trappings of dystopia. (laughs) Um, Because that's... It's very easy. So hopefully I've ridden the line between sort of dystopia and optimism, although I fear that it strongly falls into the former. Um, well, tell you what, rather yes, speculate no, about it,
1: why don't I read it out? Please do. Cool. Earth Commerce by Daniel Green. Welcome to Earth Major, 2307. Firmware, 3.1.53. It has been two months and 12 days since the last consumer uprising, estimated GNP loss of 42 billion yen rupee. Since the Great Capitalist Rebellion of 2205 to 2209, corporations are officially recognised as the governing elite, and commercial autocracy washed away the obsolete ways of state and party rule. With the fall of the old establishment, conglomerates now map the globe. National pride and brand identity has become one and the same. In the West, two tech giants continue to battle for majority market share. The razor-edged monoliths of glistening steel and glass that pierce the clouds of Microsoft loom over and dominate a vast urban sprawl of all shapes and sizes that stretches beyond the horizon. Divided into blocks, each zone is supported by a network of nuclear processor farms, overseen and run autonomously via Cortana. With a window into every household, the organisation monitors its inhabitants with a keen and authoritarian eye. Since the fallout of the World Wide War, the information superhighway was forcibly diverted into isolated ringroads of propaganda and filtered content. In Microsoft, Bing maintains a draconian grip on its society, pausing only for automatic updates. On the opposing shore, assimilation resides over oppression. The sweeping, undulating architecture of its identical dwellings, state-issued vehicles and complemented by luscious greenery and open space living, paints a vision of the perfect suburbia. Safari. Promotes healthy living, well-being, and above all, a unified operating social system, complete with a choice of mandated profession, outfit, haircut, and offspring. However, whilst residents of Apple may consider themselves part of an ideology, its neighbours view its cult-like regime with concern, as they watch droves of would-be members flock to become one with the forbidden fruit. Thanks to its open immigration policy, the ultimate gated community, an immense geodesic dome houses the capital, protecting its newly welcomed society from the outside elements and outside interference. Languidly fettering between the two are the fast food nation-states. A sea of oil and grease, factories and laboratories tint the atmosphere in a yellow-brown haze. Global exports on the grey market are grown rather than reared. Organic has been off the menu since livestock were declared endangered in 2217 and extinct by 2219. Lobbyists' influence led to relaxed regulations on the recognition of fit for consumption goods as a desperate need to source alternative marketable products. This was further expanded following the decriminalisation of cannibalism and a coincidental drop in population growth. Mass deforestation and indigenous rehousing has led to the south becoming home to the largest warehouse and distribution network facility on earth. Amazon supplies goods to all for the right price, whether it be a coffee machine or a life-saving medicine. Each recipient region has their own supply chain, and as such, their own regulated list of officially approved products. However, for the lowly sum of donating your firstborn child as an employee, prime members can circumvent these restrictions and get next-day delivery. Alternatively, the heaving, deregulated web of bustling market towns and independent traders of the Alibaba Republic service the globe's commercial needs at an under-the-counter rate where anything can be found if you ask the right person. Copyright, trademark and plagiarism are officially unrecognised terms. Owners of the world's largest shipping fleet, it also serves as the Republic's navy, which actively patrols and protects its deliveries, while acting as a visual reminder of its might. Whilst a treaty was signed between Amazon and Alibaba in 2302, an end to the distribution wars were never officially declared. A stalemate currently exists, with both sides claiming the victor. After the global stock market crash of 2207, too big to fail could no longer be upheld. With widespread corruption, political influence, senior mismanagement and debt-ridden projections, the banking dissolution of 2208 and the bloody unrest that followed saw a new dawn in finance, and the eventual relocation of all monetary holdings to the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. With the exhaustion of mineral resources, information now holds more value than gold or silver. Secrets and lies are traded daily, kept below ground in the world's largest secure digital server farm, guarded at all times by the nation's own immense private army. Meanwhile, on the outer fringes lie the remnants of former social media kingpins. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat and YouTube occupy the small archipelago, clinging on to whatever strands of data they still protest to claim. At the apex of the worldwide war, the dot-com bubble burst, spilling its guts and content into the public eye for all to see. An iron curtain was duly drawn over the cloud, under the guise of the inherent danger of online outrage and triggering social behaviour seen as poisonous to the human condition, but also to the personal detriment of each state's control over its own inhabitants. Shells of their older selves, these hollow, feeble few, delay their inevitable extinction by selling off the last remaining scraps of user data to the highest bidders. Quietly orbiting the planet, the Tesla principality is home to the elite, the 0.1% who could escape the chaos when the opportunity presented itself. Self-sufficient and autonomous, the floating vessel is also the central hub of the Tesla coil, a mammoth solar array network that wraps around the planet to form a ring of artificial asteroids, much like its grip of control. As oil and gas deposits depleted, the energy wars of 2258 to 2260 saw the world almost implode as the nation's battle for control over the remaining supplies. Out of the rubble rose the coil as a clean, efficient and reliable solution to the world's needs. It would also use around 85% of Earth's sand to produce the amount of silicon required. Tesla's residents figuratively and literally look down upon the mess below with dismay. Earth looks up in disgust. Please enjoy your stay. Yeah, I think officially in dystopian territory there. It's
0: not very optimistic, <laughs> is it? Um, Funny, though. So, I don't know if you're wondering why I chose those companies in particular. Basically, um when I was looking at, obviously, market leaders who you know globally makes the most money, who could potentially, in a sort of crazy commercial war, still come out on top. Mm. On a website called Investopedia, there was an article written... Ten most profitable companies in the world. Do you want to have a uh, a stab at say the top top three?
1: Uh, top three. I'm guessing are so. I'd guess Amazon is the most profitable, followed by Apple, and then let's say Alibaba.
0: So again, this is not largest. It's just most profitable mm-hmm. companies in the world. Number one is Apple. Okay. Uh, number two is Microsoft. Huh. Number three is the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. Huh. Number four is the China Construction Bank Corporation. Number five is Alphabet Inc., also oh, known as Google. Google. Yeah, cool. Number six is the Agricultural Bank of China. That's three Chinese banks in the top six.
1: So what are they doing? What's their how how are they as profitable?
0: So I'll just finish the list of 10. Seven was JP Morgan. Eight was Alibaba Group Holding. Nine was the Bank of China. That's four Chinese banks in the top 10. And then 10 was Intel Corporation. But I just, I, I was quite, I was quite taken by the fact that there were four Chinese banking corporations.
1: Yeah. Was there any sense of... um? Like analysis, did you uh, did you by come away from this website understanding why these four Chinese banks are so profitable?
0: Well, it only gives a certain amount of information. But for instance, not to delve too heavily into this, but for instance, say Apple's net income was fifty-eight point four billion, but the Bank of China was forty-one point seven. Billion. And most of these banks say they include corporate and personal loans, trade financing, investment activities. It doesn't necessarily say why they've achieved that. Hmm. I just found it very, in some ways quite surprising. There were certain names on that list I didn't expect and there were certain names I expected that weren't. For instance, in many ways, things like, say, Facebook, for instance, is nowhere near the top 10.
1: Oh, I think you've um, managed to include quite a lot of commentary. It's satirical at times. It's not a straight-up piece of sci-fi.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, were, there, there was there was certain amounts of, sort of um, irreverence I wanted to put in there. I mean, you probably noticed that you know, on on the segment on Microsoft, there's a window <laughs> into every household, you yeah. know, things yeah. like that. So, I just little little pieces in there. Um, there's a very very nuanced one. The razor-edged monoliths. Mm. Obviously, Microsoft Edge is the new browser. Um,
1: what was the thinking behind uh, the denizens of the Safari Island? Was it the Apple-controlled city? Why they all, like, identikit people?
0: The whole thing with, say, um, PCs versus Macs. PCs come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, Mm -hmm. whereas Apple OS is on a very select few purpose-built pieces of hardware. So, for instance, iPhones only come in certain shapes and sizes as designed and built by Apple, whereas anyone can put Windows onto a PC. And that pc can be by all manner of third parties the idea being also there's it was also the fact that i think a lot of people see an apple device as a social status a lot of people see them as a a, a sort of a a brand rather (laughs) than a functional piece of technology yeah so that was my that was my, my 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 reasoning was more i'm not suggesting this happens at the moment but in this sort of dystopian future people towards, say, the beautified look and the curvaceous nature of the object <laughs> and become assimilated to that look and that ideal yeah. um, more willingly rather than having the thumb of authority over them. And that was kind of what I was suggesting.
1: Yeah, and it really comes through and it's very funny. You've uh, yeah, you've achieved that. This was one of those articles where
0: f- I, I got a lot more pleasure in achieving a piece because I felt like it was... There were a lot of, not hurdles, I guess, but a lot of little uh, milestones in the writing to get through. So it felt good to get it out on virtual paper. Hmm. In response, uh, I have a piece here by uh, a certain Reese called Instagram versus Photography. Take it away. Instagram versus Photography by Reese Davis. Part one, the problem with Instagram. I spend a lot of time... Helpfully, the Your Activity feature tells me precisely how much. However, when I went to check, I ended up losing 20 minutes to the infinite scroll, so just trust me when I say I spent a lot of time on this particular app. I know it's not good for me, but I have my reasons for keeping it installed. I joined Instagram when I was looking for photo inspiration, and for a while it helped. But the more I use the app, the less I like the images recommended to me, which strikes me as odd because I'm doing everything I can to tailor my recommendation. Towards portrait photography, in case you're interested, I follow relevant accounts, hit like on photos I'd like to see more, and mute uninteresting content and yet it seems Instagram is sticking to some mildly offensive assumptions about my taste, based on what I guess is down to me being a straight male. So clearly I've put too much faith in the algorithm to inspire me, which I've been promised could trap me in a content bubble, black mirror style, when really I should have been working harder to inspire myself. But seeing as I first joined Instagram because I felt uninspired, what am I supposed to do instead? I think that if I can't beat my photographer's block by searching the largest modern collection of photos, I'll have to look backwards. Maybe by remembering why I got into photography in the first place, I can understand what I want from it going forward. Part 2. My superhero, uh sorry, biography, origin story. Once upon a time, on a school trip to a science show, I was bitten by a radioactive camera and now I roam the streets of London as your friendly neighbourhood cameraman in the obligatory spandex suit, of course. Uh back in reality, I bought my first camera at university after making friends with a circle of vloggers This means an internet video diarist, if you're wanting to know. I'd watched a few vlogs before, but never thought about making my own. Something about seeing the process firsthand made it all seem vivid and alive, and, more importantly, accessible. Not knowing any better, I bought the cheapest HD camcorder I could find online. And soon after realizing my mistake, I hadn't bought a camera, I bought a lesson, and learnt the hard way that there's more to a good camera than its pixel count. On the plus side, I now owned a box of fairly priced junk. So I did the reasonable thing and bought another camera, this time from a reputable electronics brand, and made sure I could return it if it sucked, but it it didn't. In fact, it was so capable, I went straight out to start filming nonsense around campus. And that would be a great place for a happy ever after. But this isn't a story about how I got into making videos. Little did I know, this upgrade in equipment would be the first of many, each one marginally optimising its use. Because even though my new camcorder was capable, in the land of tech, capable is never enough. My next mistake was helping a film, uh, helping a friend film a vlog on their camera, a DSLR. It introduced me to manual focus, and this simple act blew my mind. It really shouldn't have. It's literally just dialing in which bits of an angle, or uh, which bits of an image, is clearest. It was like falling in love. So obviously I had to buy my own, and it was everything that bright-eyed video-baking me could have wanted. Soon after that, our collective vlogging ambitions outstripped our abilities, and in this new space, self-doubt seeped in. We stopped making videos, but I started taking photos. I mean, I had this camera lying about, so I may as well use it. Not to mention I'd fallen in love with the mechanics of the art form, yada 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 yada. These new images, these still images, were strangely similar to the videos. What they lacked in motion they maintained in friends frivolity, and selective focus. Part three, first as Photoshop, then as art. And that's pretty much where I'm still at with photography. There's, sense, there's a sense of magic in sharing the intersection where lives overlap. Of course, I understand a lot more about the subtleties of correct exposures and extensive editing processes, but it's essentially the same. I guess that's what's lacking when I browse the Explore feed on Instagram. It's a monotony of poses, colours, compositions, scenes so often that they blur into one. It's a visual sprawl of adverts without products. It's photography disconnected from the people, both in front and behind the lens. Judging by the numbers of likes on them, there must be thousands of people who adore the dross I've just been moaning about. So maybe it's just not the right platform for me, but I don't think I'll be deleting my account just yet and for one specific reason. Instagram versus reality memes. If you're not familiar with these, imagine two photos. The first is usually a typically pretty picture of any given subject, and the second is a less flattering interpretation of the same. They remind through humour that images on Instagram aren't reflective of how their subjects appear in real life, and should perhaps come with a disclaimer similar to those on rear-view mirrors in movies, a sort of warning persons in this photo may be more human than they appear. The first recorded use of this template was soon after Facebook acquired Instagram in 2012, a time where end-of-the-world claims were limited to once a decade, although both have grown obviously consistently since in popularity. The obvious interpretation of these memes, and the subreddit dedicated to them, is that regular people are tired of photo fakery. But I think the opposite is true. I think a much better attitude to take think of photography like any other art form. If we can accept fictional novels and movies, and purposely compose and edited music, I think there's a place for photos to go beyond purely representational. So does any of this help inspire me? I think so. While I might not have a crystal clear idea of what my next photo will be, I think that it'll involve using the photography to go beyond what's visible. Maybe something candid with a professional polish, somewhere between a family album and a cover of Vogue? Anyway, if you're interested in how my photography is going, it's available to see at atreeseds on Instagram, because of course it is. I think that's a lovely piece.
1: That was really well written. It's weird. I don't make a habit of writing from life. And so trying to make it seem like more than just a diary, more than just a sequence of events happening, to create some sort of sense of cause and effect and ideas that connect, that was tricky. And I think that's what took so long with it.
0: It's also, I guess, about trying to apply, like it can be sometimes quite difficult to express emotions on paper that actually strike a chord with people. But I think you've done really, really well with this. Oh, cool! Well, thank you. I, I think you really hit the nail on the head where you he said it's a monotony of poses, colours, and composition, <laughs> disconnect disconnected from the people involved. Yeah, I think that yeah. that, that is that is exactly what dare I say eighty five percent of it is. I think the other fifteen percent are pictures of tattoos. <laughs> um, but for I, I swear to God, for whatever reason. I think I may have looked at one picture of a tattoo on Instagram and now my entire feed is tattoos, um, Marvel and vehicles. Oh, wow. It's kind of, yeah, it's... it's. I, I don't tend to, to dive into the Explore feed too often, I have to say.
1: If there's one thing I could change about my piece, it's probably at the beginning I mentioned about being promised it could trap me in a bubble of content. And I think the problem is that it has, but it's a boring bubble. And that's what I don't like it's about not, it. it's
0: not it's not the content that you perhaps expect. No, exactly. Yeah, like for. I
1: want something new and fresh, and it doesn't give me yeah. that, and so it's not trapping me. But
0: if anything, it's actually overachieving. It's double down, <laughs> but not but not in the way in the wrong way. Expecting. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah, just a funny little irony.
0: Algorithms are sometimes a testament to why we can't just let machines run the world. Yeah. I think they prove they 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 prove that if left alone they end up they end up in the extreme deep end.
1: But surely it takes... I'm in the minority because if the algorithm didn't work at all then more people would be dissatisfied with Instagram. Like it must work enough for the majority of users. I
0: guess there's I I I guess there's a, there's, there's a certain pool of people who just like to see pictures of of girls cars and tattoos i don't know um you know um but hey uh cool okay well listen so i think we we as i said the, the 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 two months that we took to just have a bit little break and and focus on writing these articles i know it was a bit of a, a struggle for us both uh, but I think we, we, we pulled it around. I think we did ourselves justice. We smashed it, is what you mean? Well, I guess now we have to one-up ourselves. What's the next article? Cool. Uh, I'll let you pitch yours first. Okay, I have to say, in the two months that we've had, there's been a number of topics of have come and gone where I thought, oh, I could use this, mm. and then realised it was old news. Oh dear. Because it had been two months, and n- news is one of those things, obviously, where... After a while, it's not new anymore. Yeah. So um, I've been keeping abreast of things, and I think I found some really good prompts. Hopefully, you'll enjoy. So my first is basically Presse Manger and Leon, amongst others, uh, are now doing a subscription-based coffee service. Interesting. And I, 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 mean, I guess it's again, it's a, a response to um, the current climate. Uh, Encouraging people to obviously revisit their their, their stores or their uh, points of sale. Basically, rather than going for a normal coffee, uh, however much you would, uh, there is now a subscription service. So, effectively, you visit, let's say um, you want to sign up for Pretz. By the way, I am not uh, sponsored by Pret-a-Manger. Or affiliated? Yet. Uh, I'm just going just, just gonna to say that now.
1: The is there, though, if you're listening, Leon and pret Wink, wink. But you, you go to
0: the website where you can sign up for the service. They then send you a voucher via email, and then you use that to order coffee at choice. So you scan the QR code. So when they say subscription coffee, you still need to go into the premise. Pick it up. So you... I personally would prefer them just to send it to my door. Yeah. To me, subscription means it arrives where I am. But maybe that's just me being lazy.
1: Well, as long as where you are is inside a branch of Brett or Leon, then technically that's true. True. Uh, Do you want to know how much it costs? It's it's £20 a month. How many coffees do you get with that? Well, it entitles you
0: to um, five drinks per day. Wow! That's quite good because, let's face it, it's about three or four quid ago, like two, you know what, two, three, four pounds pop? Yeah. I mean, if you were
1: a coffee holic, So, 10 to £15 worth of coffee a day... You are going to save a
0: awful lot of money.
1: Yeah, but maybe not the best for your kidneys in the long run. Or sleep. Or, or, or sleep. Well, as long as you get all five of them knocked out before noon, you'll sleep fine. And if you've got a big client pitch... <laughs> and you know, you to
0: stay up the night before, yeah, pop down with your with your uh, QR code and get cracking. What I'd like to know is, can you get five at once? You have to go in five times.
1: Oh, that's a point. What would you do though with a five? Would you just take them home and microwave them when you want them warmed up? Oh, no, you, you go with,
0: like down, like, down you them. Know, chug them, <laughs> like, chug, chug five coffees, yeah, you know,
1: like 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 sambuca shots. It, it'd basically be a bar crawl, but for cafes, basically.
0: Uh, the, the reason I bring this up. Because effectively, this sort of thing isn't exactly new. Mm. Um, I mean, you're, you're probably aware of the company Nespresso, who have the coffee-making machine. The
1: little students. pods, yeah.
0: Yeah, they have a a subscription model. Okay. There, and they, all, they, all, they, they offer a model where uh, if you already have a coffee machine, you can just get a subscription for the pods, and they will send you the pods every month. Yeah. So these, these um, services have been in, in for some time uh, the, the, what I'm getting at here in terms of a prompt is I feel that we've reached a stage where there are so many subscriptions available for so many different types of products uh, and marketable services is it possible to survive purely on subscription based goods? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really keen to explore that. Now, oh, case, yes, Case, in, yes, case damn, in point. I love it, yes. Okay, case in point, Gusto and HelloFresh are examples of subscription-based recipes and foods mm-hmm. that get sent to your door in boxes, okay? Yeah. So we already know that it's possible to eat on subscription basis alone. Okay. Um, Netflix, Spotify, they're all subscription models. Mm -hmm. So uh, Amazon Prime, a subscription model. Do you see where I'm coming from? I think there's even clothing-based...
1: I was waiting to tell you about them, because there definitely are. I think there's one called Thread, right? There's Thread. I wanted to tell you one that was specifically underpants-based. Okay, now I'm in. (laughs) Now I'm in.
0: So I know that Thread is basically like, it acts as your personal shopping assistant. Yeah. Right? And they, they, they... each week or month they give you ideas of what to purchase now i don't know if it goes so far as sign up pay a certain amount per month and they send you clothes but i know that there's a case of they attempt to give you a wardrobe that you then pick items and then pay for i would expect the next level where i pay you i don't know Thirty pounds a month, and you just send me clothes every month.
1: That that must exist.
0: So I I would like to write a piece exploring: is it possible to live in an exclusively subscription-based world? <laughs> I think it is, because I mean I know you can subscribe for things like glasses, eyewear, right? Um, yeah. Could you argue that paying for a monthly Oyster card is a subscription? I think you could.
1: Well, and even entertainment. Beyond Netflix, you've got Game Pass, for example, on Xbox. Xbox and I think there's PS Plus, Plus. that does the same yeah, thing. There's
0: Uplay uh, Plus
1: as well. Uplay, and then like physical, in terms of, like physical entertainment things and like collectibles, there's Loot Crate, which I used to subscribe to, which gives you like miniatures and T-shirts that are kind of nerdy.
0: There's um, an endless number of imitations as well. Um, infin- Infinity yeah. Crates was one as well, which I've had a couple of times. Um, but basically just to round things off my first prompt, can we live in a exclusively (laughs) subscription-based society? I think we're, I'd say we're three quarters of the way there already.
1: I would be interested to see how far you can take that and what your kind of subscription-based lifestyle would be and what the limits of it are. I'd want to see what you can't get on subscription. I mean, if you think
0: about it, you can even lease vehicles. If If you're leasing a car, your car is on subscription. Yeah. You could argue subscription models have been around for a long time. People have magazine and newspaper subscriptions. So information is already available on subscription.
1: I think you'd have to draw a limit somewhere. Where does something stop being a subscription and stop being like like rental or rent yeah. Does the rental count as subscription? Yeah, well, I don't think
0: so because rental is a one time thing. If you're talking about the days of Blockbuster, for instance. Yeah. Uh RIP blockbuster. <laughs> that was a case of I I I I pay um a small amount of money. I get to keep something for two or three days and then I send it back. You know.
1: So I think that's that's the difference then. So like uh, for me a subscription is when you pay a set amount on yes, a regular a basis contract. but the service yeah. changes.
0: If you think about it. Whereas our mobile phone contracts are subscription because you're paying every month.
1: Yes, but the, the service you're getting is exactly the same every month. No, like it doesn't, you can't tailor or it doesn't change. Oh. Like, for example, Loot Crate, you get a new box of stuff every month. It's not the same contents. But, and I think that, that for matter? me is the difference between subscription. Does that really matter though? Well, I think for the purpose of the exercise. And yeah, I think it does matter. Just to kind of impose some limits on yourself. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, you could argue anything is uh, on a subscription basis... Like even a mortgage in some ways is a subscription. Well, it is,
0: because you can carry your mortgage over to yeah. your new property.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying that I would I would want you to impose some sort of limits on yourself.
0: Surely uh, the fact that uh, you know, my broadband uh, contract is a subscription because I can add and remove packages whenever I want.
1: Uh, See, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's... I
0: will attempt to loosely define some uh, (laughs) limits or rules.
1: Right. Like, I don't know what those rules should be, but I know they should be there. So there's number one. Um,
0: I will swiftly move on to number two. So uh, one of the... We we touched on earlier about uh, what video games we've been playing to pass the time. One of which I have been playing uh, recently is the new 2020 Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, Basically, it's really fun to just jet off somewhere, especially, again, in a situation where, quite frankly, air travel and holidays isn't really on the the top of my priority list, (laughs) but it's something that I wish we could do. Mm. So, you know, I've been using the opportunity to check out parts of the world that I've never been to before, um, and... They do a somewhat good uh realization of you know capital cities and um sort of popular parts of the world like egypt pyramids that kind of thing um basically my second prompt is based around the fact that twitch chat that's right twitch chat managed to land a plane in microsoft Flight Sim. oh I'm wow just, so i'm just gonna let that settle for a second that's so twitch words.
1: chat if I'm getting it right, is when people type commands into yes. the chat box. I remember watching Twitch Plays Pokemon.
0: That's what I'm getting at. So, Oh, wow. Yes. So obviously there are thousands of people, potentially, all <laughs> trying to enter <laughs> commands at the same time. So it's effectively by a brute force because it's almost like, you know, the um, infinite monkeys with infinite typewriters. Yeah, it's sort of infinite neckbeards on um, <laughs> in, on infinite forms of Twitch chat. So essentially, everyone is trying to enter commands. And what's quite funny is it says here: um, this is a few, uh, this is an article on Eurogamer um, on the 14th of September. Surprisingly, Twitch chat was able to take off, fly around for an hour, perform a barrel roll. And then return to land the plane again. And apparently, there were dozens upon dozens of pilots all attempting to control the plane at the same time. I find that incredible. It's, I mean, you mentioned things like t- um, uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon. I think that was the first famous um, instance where they set it up and let it roll and they played through the entire game of Pokemon and completed it.
1: I think they did a few of them. They've also done
0: Twitch Plays Dark Souls as well, and Dark Souls (laughs) is classically a sort of game where it's very easy to throw your controller at the screen in fury. Um, It's very unrelenting in its um, need to have precise input, and the amount of times you can die is, is ridiculous.
1: How far did that get? I can imagine that's less successful than Pokemon.
0: No, I, I think they finished Dark Souls. I, they I finished have, it? I will have to confirm that, but I know there was a Twitch place Dark Souls. <laughs> the reason I thought I'd bring this up is how far can we take this? How about which plays find the vaccine for COVID-19? Right? <laughs> and, and you laugh, but hear me out. Um, gamers can solve science problems. Yeah. So in two thousand and I think it was two thousand and eleven, the uh there was a puzzle or a game that was created called Fold It. Mm-hmm. Now Fold It was a game about discovering the correct three dimensional form of proteins. And basically in three weeks, gamers solved uh, the problem of identifying describing the structure of a HIV envelope protein that had taken scientists 15 years and hadn't solved it. So in three weeks, they crowdsourced um, thousands upon thousands of people to hammer away at solving this problem. And over the years, it says half a million people have registered to play this game. So they're continually identifying these proteins through this uh, software and are coming up with uh, new developments and solutions faster than any group of scientists could ever imagine. It's, it's incredible. And it, it, it's things like this that does that, that this really take me as a case of, well, it's shown that if you apply um, gaming to a current real-world problem or situation and gamify the approach the approach to solve it, you can actually generate real-world results. So, I mean, I would love to come up with a list of, you know, it could be semi-fictitious, but a list of issues for Twitch, Twitch chat to have a basher is basically what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> okay, but I think there are limit, limits to what you can get through Twitch Plays formats. You'd want some amount of separation between... The game and any real-world consequences.
0: Yes, I suppose so, of course. But it was more a case of things like it's essentially any form of R and D. You think about it in that regards. That mm. can then the data can be later analysed and re-honed, obviously. But you know, it's it, it's looking at things. I said it's it's the, it's the crowd sourcing of um, the, the, these these real-world issues and and how you gamify. Um, those problems find the solution
1: if you could pick something that's kind of out there enough to pique my interest then i'd be interested in the idea of course like something new and yeah anyway that's uh, that's number uh, two so that was my yeah. second one the
0: third topic indonesia plans a jurassic park style attraction for komodo dragon tourism <laughs> uh the 6.5 million dollar proposal has wildlife conservation groups on alert. Mm. Not what you're expecting for my third topic, was it? No. <laughs> so uh, this was this was actually this was actually written about th- uh, three days ago uh, over on Vice. Um, but basically, uh, the Komodo dragon.
1: Are you familiar with the Komodo dragon? Giant lizard. Yeah. Well, giant is relative, isn't it? Because it's quite a lot smaller than a T-Rex.
0: Well, in terms of the lizard species, we're talking about 10 feet in length, up to 300 pounds in weight. They are the heaviest lizard on Earth. Um, And they've thrived in Indonesia's Lesser Sunda Islands for millions of years. So they are technically prehistoric in nature. I guess you could say similar to, say, the um, ancestors of the... Crocodile or the alligator yeah. we have now—they are—they um, uh, will eat almost anything, including carrion, deer, pigs, smaller dragons, and even water buffalo. That got me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's also been there's also been um, instances of young children or people being attacked by Komodo dragons. But the fact that they are looking to create a Jurassic Park-style attraction.
1: I've I've got a problem with this straight away, Dan. I'm sorry. Uh, a key part of the Jurassic Park experience is that the dinosaurs escape and they, they run amok and they rain terror upon the humans. If the Komodo dragons escape, it'll be a minor inconvenience at most. It will not be terrifying and exciting.
0: Maybe that's why it got through planning.
1: Well, like one of the first scenes of the first Jurassic Park is when they lower a cow into the Velociraptor pit and it's torn to shreds. If you lowered a water buffalo into a pit of Komodo Dragons, you'd be waiting a good, I don't know, maybe six hours. It wouldn't have the same drama to it. And unless it has the drama, I'm out in, right, in well, Dragon's Den style. Um, I,
0: I, I, I didn't realise this was... Uh, Komodo Dragon's, dragon's Den. Komodo yeah. Dragon's <laughs> Den. Yes, exactly. Sorry. Um, so architects behind the idea took to yeah. Instagram to share a video of their design set against composer John Williams' theme song used in the <laughs> Dinosaur movie franchise. So around 4,000 butter dragons live on a cluster of islands in the park. Um, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Government temporarily cut off public access in April 2019 to allow the giant reptiles to recuperate after authorities busted a local dragon smuggling ring. Now, I'll be honest, that's an article that I need to read on my own separately anyway. <laughs> that sounds incredible. It was people were smuggling Komodo dragons
1: off the park. Um, so in normal times... But you could do that with Komodo dragons, can't you? Not when they're 10 feet long. Well, I mean, easier than doing it with a... What was it? A Brontosaurus. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean,
0: that would put you well over your 25kg <laughs> airline, limit, wouldn't it? <laughs> I thought this whole idea was was fascinating. So my prompt for this is, if I could design a theme park for an animal, what animal would it be? What would the attractions be? (laughs) And, uh, you know, all the uh, associated uh, uh, attraction or services uh, uh, with it as well. Yeah. So if I could design a theme park for any animal... Alive, let's say alive rather than alive or dead. It's being somewhat realistic. Any animal,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> what, what, realistic. what would it be called? What would it look like? Uh, what uh, rides or attractions would it hold? Where would it be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are my three prompts.
1: Oh, wait! see. So I don't even get to find out ahead of time. Oh, no. What the, oh, oh no. okay. <laughs> you tease. Uh,
0: so, what's your, what's your favourite?
1: Okay, so pitch one was a subscription life. Pitch two was, oh, it was Twitch, right? Like crowdsourced science.
0: Yeah, crowdsourcing solution or crowdsourcing um, the uh, resource to solve real world issues.
1: Okay, and then the third one is an animal theme park. Basically. I'm leaning towards subscription life. Okay. I want to see what your choices would be.
0: I thought I might have clinched you with the uh, theme park at the end there. You seemed very tempted. I was, uh,
1: I was. I think, yeah, I don't know. There was some, the the subscription one felt more relatable.
0: Okay, no, I look forward to writing that. So, in response, Rhys, what are your three prompts? What are my three prompts?
1: Okay, well, this is, um... I'm going, to, I'm going to get there eventually. I'm going to take an indirect route to, towards my first prompt. First of all, I've discovered that I'm a bit weird when it comes to music. And I've got... Weird, sorry, wait, I'm going to interrupt you there. Weird how? Do you well, mean
0: in terms of the music you listen to, how you access music, how you discover music, and expand on the well, word
1: weird? So the normal way to do it, as I've understood it, well, it used to be that you'd just buy an album, right? And you'd listen to that album, or you'd listen to the radio, and there'd be like a mix on there. But with streaming music, streaming services like uh, Spotify, people I, I found that people are a lot more eclectic with how they listen to music because the the physical limitations on people's collections have been removed. Mm-hmm. And what I've ended up doing, rather than listening to an album at a time or to an artist, is that I have like this infinite playlist that I just keep adding tracks to, and it's kind of like a like a magpie's nest of music. There's like there's something I remember from years ago. I'll start humming and be like, oh, I'll add that to the playlist. I hear something new that a friend is, you know, recommending, and I'll add that to the playlist. And what I end up with is this kind of weird vinaigrette of musical tastes, uh, which don't really go together very well. So, for example, I I put it on today, immediately come up against a playlist that started off with Hotel California by Eagles. Okay. Then it was Blood Sugar by Pendulum. Okay. (laughs) followed by Despacito. That's that's very eclectic, Which, I have to say. It's very eclectic. It is very eclectic.
0: But in some ways, that isn't that reminds me a lot of being a young child, having my first stereo yeah. play, bear with me here, <laughs> with a cassette tape in it, and recording tracks off the radio. You would create your own little mixtape of your favourite songs.
1: Yeah. I, I
0: feel that it's
1: somewhat relatable. What I like about doing this is that what I'll have to do is I'll start playing it, and whatever first song comes up on shuffle, I will then reorganise the next half an hour's worth of tracks to kind of fit that theme.
0: Well, that that sounds like a lot of a lot of work.
1: Well, it's it's not, and it's it's quite a lot of fun. So, like if, for example, I'm on my kind of morning commute. Well, what used to happen was a morning commute, and for example, uh, getting jiggy with it by Will Smith might come on, and I'll then organise the next ten tracks to be varying intensities of hip hop and rap. Okay. And so it's kind of fun. It's like, it's chaos, but then you kind of impose a sort of order upon it. Have you not
0: thought of perhaps creating sub-playlists? No, not at all.
1: Because I don't want morning commute hip-hop. I want the chaos. I want organised chaos. As like you want to
0: organise the chaos.
1: If it was organised, then there'd be no spontaneity and fun to it. I like trying to draw connections between music.
0: then you're Um, but then when you're shuffling it to reorder it doesn't that lose the chaos surely that the true chaotic nature would just to let it run in its entirety
1: so the entire playlist is like 500 songs long and obviously i'm not going to scroll through 500 songs just to reorganize the 10 at the top there's like a workable range of maybe 100 or 50 that's chosen for me and from those i will reorganize the ones that i want to listen to and if there's something that i can see later on that i really want to get to i can kind of work my way there by like slowly shifting the genres or like, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that in itself would be a w- quite difficult to write an article on. What's much easier, I think, would be if I wrote an article about doing the same with uh, video or film media. So I think you can do something similar with Netflix or like Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. And so it'd be like a top 10 list of unexpected double bills Okay. for movies. So for example, I think that The Matrix and Inception would be an amazing double bill because they're both kind of sci-fi-ish. One is about trying to break free from a constructed reality. The other one's trying to impose a constructed reality. Hmm. Okay. And I think you could do some really interesting things by like pairing up these unexpected uh, double bills and like trying to compare and contrast them, like the themes that are unique and internal to them.
0: I I, I feel though that Matrix and Inception are not entirely unexpected though, because they're both sci they're both sci- they're both sci-fi. They're both loosely based about you know um, otherworldly um, existences that are somewhat constructed. I mean, for me, if you said the Matrix with driving Miss Daisy, then <laughs> I might have I might I might be thinking you know what I'd love to see how he makes joins the dots with these two.
1: Um, well, I could include some of those, but you know when when is the last time you thought of those two films in the same sentence? Just now. Another one I thought would be quite good is The Truman Show and The Lives of Others. So The Truman Show is a Jim Carrey film Mm -hmm. where he's unwittingly the star of the reality TV show that is his life. And it's a TV set that's been built around him and he has no idea. And the film's about him uh, slowly coming to understand that he's being watched the whole time. And The Lives of Others is a drama set in uh, Russian... Well, USSR controlled Germany during the Cold War, I think, and the main character is a, a Stasi spy who is secretly recording uh, in order to gain intelligence on a uh, playwright. Hmm. Okay. And so you can see the conflict there, where one is about the internal the turmoil of a character whose life it is to spy on people to watch others, sure. and the other is about the turmoil of somebody who learns they're being watched. I see what you're saying.
0: So it's sort of the the premise sort of around between the two so it's all sort of like, like a mirror almost yeah in terms of similar premises
1: and so I don't normally think of films in terms of existing in a wider network kind of in contrast to other films it's normally like if two films come out around the same time that are very similar that's when I think about them like I don't remember Megamind and Despicable Me yes came out around the same time or quite similar or Tucker and Dale versus evil and the cabin in the woods or kind of two um, spoofy
0: horror films. Or Ant and A Bug's Life.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so trying to do the same, but with films that came out at quite in quite different eras and then trying to get them to like have a conversation with each other. Okay. And yeah, presenting that as a double, double bill. So that's the first pitch. Excellent. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, the second pitch...
0: <laughs> so this,
1: this one makes me chuckle. This should be good, he's laughing it's already. Podcasting... Is like being in a band, but it's a band without music or groupies. So it's okay. It's, it's kind of like rock bands for nerds. That's how I imagine podcasting. And I feel like I can say that because I've done both. I don't know if you know this about me. I used to be in a band, and you were
0: groupie. You're saying you say you're, you're a podcaster <laughs> and you were groupie.
1: I wish no, because no, I was never that cool. I think cool people get to be groupies. Okay, uh, which is why I've become a podcaster instead.
0: Fine. Less less, less benefits, I guess. Okay, where are you going with this?
1: Well, I love mockumentaries and, you know, films about music. I think it's a weird kind of crossover of genres, of arts. So there's Spinal Tap, which you've probably watched. Yep, classic. There's uh, Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny isn't quite a mockumentary, but I think it kind of falls into that zone because it's about Jack Black and Kyle Gass are these two comedic rockers living in LA who go on this bizarre trip to save the world from the devil. Because, you know, there is that drama and romance to rock music that podcasting doesn't have. I think the closest film there has been to like a podcast movie, is um, Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. Yes. Which is uh, made into a Netflix film. You
0: no, know, The funny thing is, the other day I watched um, on, on YouTube, there was um, some snippets of Between Two Ferns blooper outtakes. <laughs> and it really hits home how hard they have to try not to laugh, maintain a yeah. sense of seriousness, because <laughs> they are falling about themselves on every, like, every chuckle, every every punchline that's delivered. And obviously, when you actually watch Between Two Ferns, there's this sort of razor-sharp <laughs> awkwardness about it. Um, the other, the other uh, mockumentary film I was going to suggest, or something that I think lends itself as a possible mockumentary, I'm not sure if you've seen the film Still still Crazy? No.
1: What's Still Crazy?
0: So it's... it's there's a fictional... A uh, rock band called Strange Fruit, um, <laughs> and it's basically uh, a film that sort of uh, it follows their uh, reunion at a at a concert. That's that's a, that's a good film as well, um, which is sort of similar in vein, uh, a sort of tongue in cheek look at um, uh, a, 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 an old school band getting back together.
1: So what if it was that? But for podcasting, what if it was Prompt Night with the basic pitches, the movie? What, what would that look like?
0: Oh, wow. See, now I'm getting some sort of Bill & Ted vibe. <laughs> Which, do you know that there's a, a, a new Bill & Ted coming out?
1: Yeah, I've heard that it's... Yeah, there's finished? some...
0: I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm somewhat dubious. I'm not sure if you've gone back lately and watched Bill & Ted, or whether it be Excellent Adventure or the sequel. I don't know if they
1: hold up. Bogus Journey, I don't think does. I don't think Bogus Journey was even that good at the time.
0: I didn't mind Bogus Journey, to be honest. But uh, yeah, you watch it now and you just think, this is a bit janky. It doesn't quite hold as much weight <laughs> as I thought it did. But then uh, we were obviously you know, much younger when we, when we first saw it. I
1: yeah, I, I'd hope that Excellent Adventure still holds up. I mean, it was never a film that took itself very seriously. There was always that kind of tongue-in-cheek yes. element that you'd hope would pull it through like life of brian the monty python films i think would fall into a similar boat i'm not, not sure trying put to put on the same
0: the same level as life of brian that's
1: no you're right of wow. course uh, bill and ted is better sorry that was my mistake <laughs> oh okay and uh <laughs> yes that, that's that's actually get a couple of emails or angry letters see that was number two kind of uh prompt note the movie what would that look like okay and then three is are you a fan of doctor who um I don't mind Doctor Who. Uh,
0: I wouldn't say I was a, 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 a stan of Doctor Who, no. but I, I, okay. can, I can happily watch
1: it. Right, like, I'm the same. I'm not over the top about it, but I started re-watching... Well, I started watching when Christopher Eccleston, I don't know if you remember, did the, um, started the reboots. Yes. And um, as much... F- as much as i like doctor who and i think they've got some great ideas there's like one phrase that just really grates on me and it's the idea that words have power have you picked up on this it's like it's one of their like mantras in the show give me an example well i can't like (laughs) i stopped watching it because it started bothering me but it felt like there was a time in doctor who and i don't know if it was in other shows as well when they started just like claiming that if a character would say a thing then that would defeat the bad guy in some way
0: just like the famous line from the film *Labyrinth*: "You have no power over me." That kind of thing. I, I've not seen *Labyrinth*, so I wouldn't know. Wow. Okay. There's education for. You. Uh, after <laughs> after this podcast, watch yeah. *Labyrinth*.
1: Is that the one with um David Bowie, David Bowie? and yeah. sort of
0: Jim Henson production? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's cool. Uh, anyway, sorry.
1: <laughs> it's our chance. Anyway, so there's that, and I was trying to think. Well, what's the opposite? Of that, because what, what, I'm trying what to words
0: hold no power.
1: What series don't put so much of an emphasis on words? And I, because I think there is, um, over there is a tendency in TV to overemphasize the ability for conversation to change the world. And obviously, you know, there there is uh, potential there, but I think it it's oh, it's it's just one of these weird tropes that comes up again and again that I find really frustrating, where they save the day by saying the magic phrase or by speaking their mind to somebody but yeah i think there is one amazing series that does the opposite where actions hold power instead of words and that's uh heroes did you watch heroes i did i did um uh,
0: i watched the majority of the first season um and really liked it i think i sort of fell off the dial a little bit in season two um mm. by, by all accounts most people ignored season three but um, did, did you know there's a season four? What?
1: Yeah, I had no idea. I, I was doing some research of this episode because I've been re-watching seasons one and two on iPlayer at the moment. Uh, it turns out there are four seasons. Uh, oh, season didn't... two, uh, I think the decline in, de- in quality was down to the fact that there was a screenwriter strike at the time.
0: Ah, that might be it, yes.
1: And that affected, yeah, just so many TV shows and films were like hastily cobbling together what they had. But what's really cool about the first season is it feels like an extended metaphor for creativity where the way that the various heroes relate to their superhuman powers mm. feels like an analogy for this weird place between nature and nurture that creativity exists in and the fact that it only exists once you act on it that like talking about an idea or a potential isn't enough it's it's in the the doing it that it becomes significant and important. No, I'm with you. That makes sense. Well, and this culminates in the protagonist and the antagonist of the show. I don't know if you remember, Peter Petrelli and Sylar. Yes. Who are significant because they don't have one singular power as such, more that they assimilate uh, those of other people. Peter, by sort of osmosis, by being around them, and then Sylar by, like, analysing something to the point of, like, ruining it, killing the person whose parry wants to steal. We need to add a
0: spoiler alert. I know this series is very old, but for anyone who was planning on watching uh, seasons one through four of (laughs) Heroes...
1: Well, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. This is all part of the exposition. This is like, it comes to light in the first few episodes. To
0: be fair, famously, I mean, there is a very famous phrase, which is, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. And and I I think that, that, that holds true, and in many ways... Could be the crux of your frustrations because Doctor mm. Who attempts to promote that words speak louder than action.
1: Well, and I think that the Marvel movies do the same. They're they're a superhero franchise in which the uh, the gimmick of each hero kind of goes onto the back seat and that what it really becomes about is their personal drama. I don't know. I I yeah. I was one. This is the one that I've kind of least fleshed out as an idea, and I wanted to get your opinion. Like, do you think that? the majority of superhero stories are about actions? Or do you think they're about words? Where do you think the balance lies um, in the most famous examples?
0: I, well, I think with, with anything, with any kind of, of, of movie of that nature, there has to be some form of personal turbulence or drama to keep the audience emotionally invested. Hmm. I think if you had a film purely based on action alone, it could get actually quite boring by the end of it, sure. Yeah. Even Fast and Furious franchise has drama with characters. There are still love interests. There are still double crossings. There's still, you know, on-screen deaths of of of, of car of, of characters that in that inst that instills emotional hooks.
1: So maybe I should have been a bit more precise because one of my favourite series is Buffy. There's huge drama with that with Buffy the Vampire. Well, Slayer. ah, but 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 Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a show that tries to make metaphors out of everything that's happening and so the whole thing is that uh vampires uh the supernatural all become kind of manifestations for the drama of a teenage life so you know the the whole thing with um well i guess spoilers for buffy if we're doing spoilers for old shows but her first boyfriend is like a good vampire and then when she sleeps with him, he becomes a completely different person. And that was something that Joss Whedon, the creator of the show, openly you know, stated, that that was his intention with the show. And I think that too many uh, franchises and series, they they kind of split uh, action and emotion too much. Oh. And shows like Buffy and Heroes Season 1, at least, managed to merge them perfectly. Yeah. Where, yeah, everything is like, a, all the action is a manifestation of the internal life of the characters. It's not like they, they speak and Then they punch, okay. To put it crudely,
0: so would you have a, a, a loose title for this, or, or is that still sort of working? Properly?
1: Well, no, basically, the idea is like um, 10 characters from heroes and the kind of the metaphor you can draw from how they relate to their superhero abilities and how you can take a lesson from that for creativity,
0: okay. So, uh, just give us a quick recap of your three topics, just very loosely as a, as a little reminder for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. So, the first one was uh, Unexpected Movie Double Bills. Yep. The second one is uh, The Podcast Mockumentary, kind of prompt night on tour, kind of behind the scenes. Uh And then the third one is Top 10 Creativity Lessons You Can Take From Heroes Season 1. They're they're all quite niche.
0: I like how niche you've gone with this. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say, I I, I think I'd be very interested to know your uh, movie Double Bills. Cool. All right, then. I think that could be a really nice exploration, and I, I'd almost encourage you not to solely look at really sort of um, obvious links. But if there's anything more sort of secondary or subversive that could, you know, how they always say it, say, you know, like six degrees of separation. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe you could. Maybe there's a, a six degree of separation with movies as well.
1: All right then. Well, I look forward to surprising you. Excellent. Uh, great. Well
0: this one's been quite it's been a a really good podcast um it's been a little while uh it's been great to have a good recap uh read through uh the the two articles we poured our hearts and souls into over the course of two months (laughs) uh and and also give uh uh, everybody uh an appetite wetner for the next one this has been prompt night brought to you once again by the basic pitches uh i have been dan
1: and I've been Reese. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please rate us and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, where you can also find the rest of our episodes, and subscribe. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. Dan goes by at DigitalGoyosa, and I'm at ReeceDS. That's Thanks good. Bye-bye.